Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hack Gym Podcast. As I've been researching all of these episodes for season one, I've come across different topics that I think are awesome and would love to talk about, but they just don't have enough substance to consume an entire episode. So this week, we will be covering two mini-episodes rolled into one. To begin, we're going to talk about temptations and focus in on the teachings of Katie Milkman, Dan Ariely, and Dean Carlin. When I'm talking about temptation here specifically, I'm referring to the things that sidetrack us, that distract us, that pull us away from what our true priorities should be, the rationalizations that we use to justify our procrastination or the things that sabotage us along our path to our objectives. I've always been impressed by the story of Victor Hugo and his efforts to write his classic novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Hugo found himself far behind schedule on completing the novel. Why? Because of his temptations. Hugo, you see, was a party animal. He loved to throw parties. He loved to be at parties. He loved to dress up. He enjoyed his fancy clothes and fancy meals and all the publicity and fame that came with the success of his prior works. The constant partying and entertaining was distracting him from completing the novel he was committed to deliver to his publisher. Following intense pressure from his publisher, he took a drastic step to manage his temptations. He took all his best clothes and locked them in a closet and gave someone else the key. Then he wrapped himself head to toe in a ratty old shawl and spent the next five months writing the novel. Without fancy clothes, how could he possibly attend any events? He couldn't be seen in public in rags. He dramatically and effectively removed the temptation from his path and delivered one of literature's greatest works. Behavioral economics teaches us that people just are not consistent. We set goals and we come up short. We fall back, we fail, we quit, we give up, but then we succeed. Maybe we even blow past our objectives, but then we fail again. And it's this constant up-and-down process with most human beings. Being consistent long-term is a wonderful thing for those who have figured out how to do it. But for most people, that's just not the way life goes. Behavioral economics teaches us that an effective way to remove a temptation that keeps knocking us off track is to make the penalty for yielding to the temptation so severe that we just won't give in, and we will remain consistent. You could make a sizable bet with a friend that you will lose weight, or you have to pay him a hefty sum. Now, in order to truly make this approach work, the sum on the line has to be a dollar amount that will cause extreme pain for you. In most cases, it won't just be a hundred bucks, but we'll be talking more likely into the several hundred or even thousands of dollars. 
the risk of yielding to the temptation still exists if it isn't a high enough penalty. The pain point for yielding to the temptation has to be so high that it will remain at the front of your mind at all times, not too low to where you might temporarily forget about the consequences and yield to the temptation. Behavioral economist Dean Carlin refers to this as increasing the price of your vice. I really like that one. Whether your temptation is overeating, oversleeping, procrastination, or any other number of possible vices, raising the price of the vice until it reaches a point that you can no longer tolerate the temptation is the key to success. Hugo's example of removing his precious clothes and parties was a price he was not willing to pay for long, so he focused intensely on his novel and delivered a masterpiece in order to stop paying that high price for his vice. What does this look like when applied to your health and fitness? Start by checking out websites like stick.com, that's stick with two Ks, and beminder.com, where you can design contracts with financial penalties established for yielding to your designated temptation. These sites will actually process your payments to a person of your choosing in the case where you fail and give in to your temptation. You certainly don't have to use a website, though. You can simply make a firm agreement with a friend or family member or a co-worker, and then you can put the money that you've staked on the line in a shared savings account at your local bank or in the hands of a third party. That third party will deliver the money to whoever should receive it in the end. Simply put, we're establishing a financial penalty for yielding to the temptation. However you choose to structure that financial penalty is up to you. Be creative. Find something that will work for you and that you can't weasel out of easily. Going back to a prior podcast episode here on The Hack Gym, this would certainly qualify as a loud commitment. You have locked yourself onto a path that you really cannot get off of after making a large financial obligation. So you want to lose weight, and you've got a friend who also is in the same situation. Then work out a deal, and you both commit to a painful financial obligation. Let's just say you want to lose 50 pounds each, and you're going to put down $1,000 each. It's all or nothing. You hit the 50-pound goal, or you lose the $1,000. For maximum effectiveness, you're going to take $1,000 each and you're going to put that somewhere safe, out of your access, like in that shared bank account or with a third party who will hold the money until it's time for distribution. Make the price of the vice higher if you feel you need to. Maybe your price doesn't need to be that high. Maybe what's on the line is washing each other's cars if one of you fails or something more service-based. Anything can work, it just needs to be costly enough to drive you to actively avoid yielding to temptations. It could be maybe some type of embarrassing behavior that you'll have to engage in if you fail. Uh, that could be enough of a price on the vice to keep you on track. Figure out what's going to truly be motivating for you and drive you to success. What if your temptation, however, is not so bad that you need to absolutely eliminate it? You just need to manage it. With the financial examples from earlier, 
that would be applicable in cases where temptation needs to be fully eliminated. Maybe it's smoking. Maybe you need to really lose weight because your health is seriously suffering. Maybe you really need to stop procrastinating a particular project because if you don't, you're going to lose your job. Those examples where a temptation must be fully eliminated are excellent for using a steep financial penalty. Raise the price of your vice. But what if you just find yourself playing too many rounds of Candy Crush or binging whole seasons on Netflix instead of doing something which should be a higher priority? Playing games and watching TV don't need to be fully eliminated. Those temptations just need to be managed. Katie Milkman has a fantastic thought about these situations that she calls temptation bundling. An example here of temptation bundling. Let's imagine that you have an uncle. He's one of those uncles. Brash, opinionated, long-winded, difficult to spend time with. But he is also in very poor health. And you recognize that your opportunity to spend time with him is diminishing. So here's what you do. You pick your favorite restaurant. A place that maybe isn't so healthy or is rather expensive. But you absolutely love the food. And you start having regular meetings with your uncle at that restaurant. You've now taken a temptation that you generally would avoid the unhealthy or expensive restaurant and bundled it with something that you do not want to do necessarily, but you know you need to do, which is spending time with your uncle. You suffer through the time with your difficult family member while enjoying a wonderful meal. Another example. You really want to burn through the latest season of Bridgerton. Okay, but you also want to lose weight. So, you set a rule. Back to one of our prior episodes, we're talking about those bright lines. Those things that you just will not cross. You will hold firm to. So you set that bright line that you will only watch those episodes while you're walking on the treadmill. The more time you spend on the treadmill, the sooner you'll get through the season. You've now bundled the temptation with a positive action that would usually be skipped in order to give yourself the time needed for binge-watching. I have a selection of podcasts, which are my personal favorites, but I've told myself for years now that I will only listen to those particular podcasts while running. The more I run, the more podcast episodes I get to enjoy. I certainly do not enjoy cardio. And that was a phenomenal temptation bundling technique that I began employing years ago when I was first introduced to the concept through articles by Katie Milkman. And it is still paying massive benefits today. This concept of temptation bundling works because what we're simply doing is making an unpleasant task more enjoyable by combining it with something that we do like. And we are giving ourselves a little bit of instant gratification when we accomplish the unpleasant task. As human beings, we certainly like our instant gratification. Often, behavioral psychologists and economists will try to convince us that we need to eliminate instant gratification. But it's not practical, of course, and temptation bundling allows us to incorporate instant gratification in a healthy, productive way. 
All of these examples are more broadly referred to as commitment devices. The idea is to establish patterns of thinking and acting now that will help you manage the temptations that will hit you in the future. These commitment devices especially help us to manage impulsive decisions. They help to prevent us from acting against our best interests, which we constantly do to ourselves. Behavioral economist Dan Ariely describes commitment devices as tools that help our present self behave in ways that our future self would like to see. Commitment devices are something that we often just naturally find ourselves employing. We don't need to take a psychology course or behavioral economics course to understand the value that they bring. Here is something that Dan Ariely and his team at Duke University created that I absolutely love. They developed an app, kind of like a Tamaguchi, and it centers around a turtle. You tell the app what your goals and objectives are, and then by completing those goals, the turtle is happy. If you fail to complete your goals, the turtle becomes sad. They began using this app on recent heart surgery patients. As long as the patient ate right, exercised properly, and took their medication like they should, the turtle remained happy. This was tracked through internet-enabled pillboxes, photographing their eating choices for the day, and tracking their daily workouts. What they discovered, however, was that keeping the turtle happy was not a powerful enough driver to get these heart patients to behave properly. So, the turtle was given a superpower. Not only could the turtle become sad when a patient was not following the proper course of treatment, but the turtle also had the ability to delete apps off of their phone the turtle could analyze and identify the highest used apps and delete those at any time during the day. Instagram, Facebook, Candy Crush, whatever might be the person's favorite app would disappear. The app would be gone for 24 hours. Now that proved to be a powerful incentive to, for the patients to keep the turtle happy and follow their treatment regimens correctly. The price of the vice found that sweet spot where behavior was changed. In summary here on this idea of managing temptations, just look at your life, figure out where there is a gap between what you want to do and what you are doing. In that gap, you're likely going to find a temptation something that continues to pull you off track, something you are very susceptible to, that you yield to much too often, and it is preventing you from reaching your goals. Once you have identified that temptation, then try to figure out a commitment device that will remove the temptation or give you the willpower to push past it. A few last quick examples would be committing to a one-year gym membership, signing up for a meal delivery service, hiring a personal trainer. These are all effective commitment devices that remove temptations and help us to stay on track toward our fitness goals. Now, this talk about temptation management sets us up well to move into the next mini-episode. But first, 
please stick around at the end of this episode for a couple of minutes to hear from a new, very special sponsor. You don't want to miss this one. So our next subject will be procrastination. Procrastination is certainly a problem for many people. However, it's good to stop and ask yourself, are you truly procrastinating or are you actually optimizing? Often we find ourselves overwhelmed with projects and tasks and we do end up procrastinating some of those items. Is it truly procrastinating when the reality is that we just have too many things on our plate and it's just not physically possible to accomplish all of those things in the timeline that we are either putting on ourselves or that others are forcing onto us. An example to illustrate what I mean here. Many years ago, I had a boss who was constantly on my case about the things I was not accomplishing as fast as he wanted. He frequently told me, I had a procrastination problem, and that if I didn't improve, I would be fired. I was young enough and inexperienced enough and uneducated enough at that point that I believed what he was saying, and I was very depressed about the situation. I was disappointed in myself. I continued to work as hard as I could and as smart as I could, but still, I could never accomplish everything that he asked of me within the time frame that he demanded. He continued to berate me about my procrastination problems and never seemed capable of noticing what I did accomplish. It wasn't until many years later, after receiving advanced education and a lot more life experience, that I realized I wasn't procrastinating at all. I was optimizing like a champ. We have to recognize that procrastination is not really possible in a situation where it is literally impossible to complete all of the tasks that are on your plate within the time frame that is being required. You can only truly procrastinate when you have more than enough time to complete a project, but then you willfully do not utilize your time and you put the project off past the deadline. I think for many of us, we do find ourselves being accused of procrastination or thinking to ourselves that we are procrastinating when the reality is we are truly optimizing. What do I mean by optimizing? When we do find ourselves heavily overloaded with tasks and projects and limited time, we have to prioritize. We have to decide what task or project will receive our attention and be completed within the allotted time and then what is going to be sacrificed and potentially pushed out past the expected deadline. That is not procrastination. And if anyone tries to accuse you of procrastinating, you need to push back. You need to defend yourself and identify what you are accomplishing, explain your priorities, and make it clear that you are doing the best possible within the unrealistic time frame you've been given. I wish I had pushed back against that bad boss, but I simply came to learn that's exactly the problem. He was a bad boss, incapable of recognizing the good in his employees and only focusing on the negative. I also realized I was really good at prioritization and optimizing my tasks and time. That understanding led me to choose the educational path that I have taken, where I focused on organizational strategy and behavioral economics. 
Another way that we get ourselves into trouble here with this battle between procrastination and optimization is that we will find ourselves not accomplishing tasks and projects on schedule, we will become frustrated and get a bit angry with ourselves for allowing the procrastination to occur. But we overlook that in many cases, the deadline that is being imposed is put in place by ourselves. I'm not encouraging you here to start changing your deadlines because that in and of itself could be procrastination. But what I'm encouraging you to do is to pause for a moment and assess that deadline and ask, was it truly ever realistic in the beginning? We have talked in past episodes about overconfidence bias as taught by Kahneman and Tversky. Kahneman called this the most significant of all cognitive biases. A quick reminder, overconfidence bias is the tendency that we have to overestimate our capabilities to accomplish a task while simultaneously underestimating the amount of time that it will require to complete the task. Therefore, we will often find ourselves running past deadlines that have been self-imposed because of the overconfidence bias that we suffer from. This is not procrastination, but this is a natural human tendency that we have and we must learn to compensate for it when we determine self-imposed deadlines. My rule of thumb has been to add 50% to whatever timeline I initially think a project is going to require. Maybe that's a bit excessive in your view, but I have simply learned that my personal overconfidence bias is rather large, and I have to make up for it with that additional 50% tacked on to keep things in proper perspective. I definitely had a period of time where I would put unrealistic time frames on myself and become frustrated when I could not accomplish the goal in the timeline I had given myself. I had to finally admit that my timelines were often just overly ambitious, unrealistic, not properly planned out. And once I began to do a better job of setting realistic time frames and deadlines, I began to discover, wow, I procrastinate a lot less. Procrastination can be a serious problem for many people, and that definitely could be an entire separate podcast episode. I'm not going to dive into the methods and techniques to reduce procrastination here today. My point on this mini-episode is to ensure that we are taking a moment to assess our situations and ask, are we procrastinating or are we optimizing? Our mental perspective is quite different in those two scenarios. Procrastination is a negative and something we should strive to eliminate from our personalities. Optimization is a positive skill that we should focus on and develop. Despite how different they are in definition, we do get confused between the two often, and we'll become frustrated because we think we're procrastinating, but we truly are optimizing. And the opposite can be true. We might tell ourselves that we are optimizing, but we really are procrastinating, and we simply need to be cautious and to identify properly which of the two we are employing and respond accordingly. And that wraps up our episode. Again, please stick around here for a moment. We've got another great sponsor to talk with you about this week. But thanks to all the support for all the comments, feedback, reviews, ratings. So valuable, so important. Again, just I can't thank you all enough for the support you've given. 
if you would, please do rate and review. Apple Podcasts is the best rating and review source. Even if you don't listen to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, if you'd be willing to take just a few minutes and go to Apple Podcasts to do your rating and reviews, it means so much more if they're entered there. Gets this podcast out in front of more ears, more people are exposed to it and get a chance to benefit And please keep sending me comments and feedback. I appreciate the DMs I'm getting on Instagram. You can get me there at The Hack Gym. You can email me at matt at thehackgym.com. So please continue to send me the feedback. I value it. Let me know your thoughts um, and ideas. So that covers my closing there. Just go out and crush your workouts today. And now let me tell you about our sponsor this week. Closed captioning this week is brought to you by Callahan Auto Parts of Sandusky, Ohio. Let me tell you, they got the best brake pads. But, you know, you know, hey, look, the CEO of Callahan's is right here. He'd like to tell you about their brake pads himself. Our new brake pads are really cool. You're not even going to believe it. Like, um, let's say you're driving along the road with your family. And you're driving along, la 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 woo. And then all of a sudden, there's a truck tire in the middle of the road. And you hit the brakes. <laughs> Whoa, that was close. (laughs) Now let's see what happens when you're driving with the other guy's brake pads. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from the backseat, I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. Not now, damn it. Truck tire. I can't stop. Help. There's a cliff. And your family's screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God! New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. All because you want to save a couple extra pennies. 